Welcome to 721 Live. I'm Sam Hunter, and I am glad that you're with us today. Thank you for joining us. We're going to have a great show today talking about the Christmas story. We're going to read it in chronological order. We're going to read it with an eye towards the Beatitudes, and we're going to read it with an eye towards responding in faith or reacting in fear. We're going to look for the Holy Spirit, and then we're going to look at some of these characters that we see in this Christmas story and how were the Beatitudes manifested in them or not manifested in them. So it's going to be a good show. The Christmas story, we're going to go through it, and I'm glad that you're with us to do it together. Before we get started on that, let me first remind you that 721 Live is the radio arm of 721 Ministries. If you go to our website, 721ministries.org, 721ministries.org, we've got a lot of things on that website, a lot of things that I think will be helpful, interesting, past radio shows, YouTube video shows on what we do, a lot of charts. Just check us out at 721ministries.org, and you'll see a link there to our sister website, puttinggreenblog.com puttinggreenblog.com, and on that we've got our weekly devotionals. You can sign up for those free of charge. We've got our books that are available. Check us out at both of those websites to see all about what 721 Ministries is about for the kingdom of God. Now, we have been studying the Beatitudes for these past many weeks, and as we approach Christmas, I thought it would be fun, appropriate, helpful, interesting to read the Christmas story with the Beatitudes in mind. Remember, the Beatitudes is Jesus describing what life in the kingdom looks like, not prescribing how you behave to get into the kingdom or how you're supposed to act or try to act. It's describing what life in the kingdom looks like. And we've got some folks in these these Christmas stories who are clearly living in the kingdom now, not waiting until they die. They're living in the kingdom now, which is exactly what Jesus said he came to do, bring it right to us. We can step into it now. And then we have others who are clearly not. And as we read this story, we will see those who react in fear. They're not living in the kingdom. Those who respond in faith, who know that they're living in the kingdom and do some remarkable things in the face of what would be insurmountable adversity and scary, scary predictions coming, prophecies coming from the the angel Gabriel. So react in fear, respond in faith. And I want you to think about that because that's what we do. We have that option in any situation. We can react in fear, which usually means to overreact, or we can respond in faith and trust that we live in the kingdom and we're perfectly safe with a perfectly loving, perfectly powerful, perfectly present king. React in fear or respond in faith. And as we read these stories, I want you to also watch for the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is, is everything in these stories. And we'll see, just as the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters in Genesis 1, we'll see the Holy Spirit moving in this story as we go from the creation of the world of the universe to the creation of the king. Now, before we jump into it, I just want to make, say a word about the genealogies because the Christmas stories are found in Matthew and Luke. We'll start in Luke, because Luke's story actually starts first, but we find them in Matthew and Luke, and both Matthew and Luke have genealogies. We could spend a lot of time in the weeds on these genealogies. Let me just point out a couple of things. They are both driving home the point that Jesus is a legal Jew 
and he is a kingly Jew, that he comes from Abraham, but as much or more importantly, he comes from David. And you'll see David's name throughout this. Matthew, who is writing to Jews, is intent to show us that Jesus, that he has a legal right to the throne through his descendants going all the way through Joseph, all the way back to Abraham. He's the perfect Jew and therefore has the perfect legal right to be the king. On the flip side, Luke looks more through the eyes of Mary. Some commentators say, some say that you cannot be sure about that, but it's clear that Luke is showing us that because he's writing to Greeks, and he starts with Adam, and he's showing us that Jesus is the perfect man as well as God. And so he, through Luke's account, we see that he has a bloodline back to David. Legal on Joseph's side, bloodline on Mary's side. Either way, he is of royal birth. So, as we get ready to start this, and I'm going to read a little bit of the beginning of Luke just to set it up. He starts with John the Baptist, and then we'll move towards the stories of Mary and Joseph in Luke and in Matthew. Luke starts with, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from the first who were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. That word, servants of the word, that's logos, servants of the logos. Now, Luke is a very respected historian. As a matter of fact, they consider him to be a world-class historian, especially for the age in which he was writing, which they weren't as concerned with strict chronological facts as they were with the message that they were getting across. But there have been several intellectual atheists who decided to attack Luke's story to expose him as a fraud, to expose him as someone who could not be relied upon to be accurate and factual. And they became born-again Christians because they saw that Luke's version cannot be attacked. So he starts off with this in mind, the eyewitnesses that I interviewed. And my father used to say, I, I think that Luke, when, when Paul was in prison in Caesarea, over by the sea for two years before he went on to Rome on his first imprisonment to Rome, that that's when Luke traveled around and interviewed all these eyewitnesses. So he says, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, carefully investigated, I too decided to write an orderly, orderly account for you, most excellent, excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty, the certainty of the things you have been taught. And so can we. I might add that Luke would go ahead and, and, and add in parentheses, and I'm going to write this as it pertains to the birth of Jesus through and filling in the details from Mary because you're going to see that he clearly interviewed Mary to tell us this story. He starts off within the time of Herod. That would be Herod the Great, king of Judea, appointed by Rome to be king, we had this priest, Zechariah. This is John the Baptist's father. Now, we know the story. But the interesting thing is that he's including John the Baptist as this one who is paving the way, who is setting up for Jesus. And Zechariah being a priest and his wife, who is Elizabeth, who is beyond childbearing age, he's called in as, the pre as his division would be twice a year for one week of service at the temple, and while he's there, he draws a lot to go into, not the Holy of Holies where the Ark is, but into the 
into the holy place, into the temple proper, to offer the incense, to make sure the incense is burning. And when he's in there, he has this vision. He has a, it's not even a vision, he has a visit from Gabriel. And it's just interesting to note that it's been 400 years since we've had God Almighty speaking into humanity. And the last time we had it was in uh, the prophet Zechariah. And now we've got this priest, Zechariah, who when he sees Gabriel, he's freaked out. But Gabriel says, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. In Zechariah chapter 1, verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Mary asked pretty much the same kind of question, how can I know this is going to happen? But clearly, Zechariah is being sarcastic. It's as if he says, you expect me to believe this? Now, Zechariah is a mature priest, and he's standing in the presence of Gabriel. When we get to Mary's story, we've got a young girl standing in the same presence of Gabriel. She does not respond as what we would have hoped would have been a much better response from a mature priest. You expect me to believe this? Gabriel didn't like that. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you the good news, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. And he, when he's finished with his time in the temple, still cannot speak, he and Elizabeth goes home, she conceives a child, and and here we have it. She, she stays in seclusion for the first five months, and then we get Mary's story. It's beginning at Luke one twenty six. And let's think about reacting in fear. Zechariah, we've already seen, already seen it, responding in faith, watching for the Holy Spirit, and thinking about these, these beatitudes that we see. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers. Let's just keep these in mind, and then we'll tease that out a little later. Luke 1, 26, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Listen to what comes next. A descendant of David. Even Luke is being sure we know that Joseph is a descendant of David. We'll talk more about Mary being pledged to Joseph and what that entailed. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel, that would have been Miriam in, their, in the Hebrew, which was the same name as Moses' sister. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Well, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered, if I may speak in the vernacular, what in the world is going on? What a kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. Forever his kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, well, how, can, how will this be since I am a virgin? An innocent question. And as opposed to Zechariah's sarcastic question, 
The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. It's interesting that language, the Holy Spirit will come on you, is the same language we see with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when the cloud with God's presence came on them. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy Spirit, we see him at the beginning of creation of the universe and now the creation of the King. So the Holy One will be born and will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I wonder if Gabriel is telling her that in part to assure her that this is going to happen. Because, precisely, nothing is impossible with God. And then Mary, in one of the most in one of the most wonderful responses, responding in trust and faith, not reacting in fear, says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Would it be that we could all respond in trust like that, no matter the situation? I am the Lord's servant. Whatever you think is right, Father, then let's do it that way. Because I know whatever you think, I know is the best way. I am the Lord's servant. I want whatever you want, Father. I am the Lord's servant, so ignore all of my prayer requests and do it your way, because your way is always going to be the best. I am the Lord's servant, and even though I don't understand this, and this is scary, I'm going to thank you now, before I see all the good you bring out of this, because I know I'll be thanking you later. These sound exactly like what Mary was saying. I don't understand this. I thought life was going to be perfect. I'm, I'm betrothed to Joseph. Life is working out just as it's supposed to, and you throw me this curve? Who is going to believe that I'm impregnated by the Holy Spirit in this culture? Are you? I'm, I got nothing to look forward to. You're sentencing me to raising a bastard child on the streets, maybe having to turn to prostitution. That's not good news, Gabriel. But in spite of that, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said, because I'm responding in faith. And I see that my Heavenly Father is present and loves me, and the Holy Spirit is moving in this situation. What a girl. What a incredible 13-, 14-year-old, soon-to-be mother of our Savior, Jesus. Could you have done that? And at a very minimum, can you do it now and follow her example, knowing that you live in the kingdom? Not in the world, but in the kingdom of God. That's Luke's version so far. We will get to the shepherds in a minute. Let's go back to Joseph's version. Matthew 1.18, and again, we're looking for reacting in fear versus responding in faith. We're looking for the Holy Spirit. We're watching how Joseph takes this news, and it begins Matthew 1.18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. In the Greek, it reads, now the genesis of Jesus Christ. Matthew is, in, is absolutely focused on showing us that Jesus is from the beginning. He, he, he tells us, he compares him many times to the new Moses, 
He's letting us know he is the Jew of all Jews. This is how the genesis of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. That means they are legally betrothed. They are not just engaged as we would be in our culture. They are legally bound, waiting probably a year to get married. But at this point, to break this off, it's a divorce, and it's very complicated. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. Now, the Scripture tells us she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, but Joseph didn't know that. So let's read it from Joseph's perspective. Before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. Now, Joseph is not going to naturally assume the Holy Spirit came on her and impregnated her. Joseph is a man. His wife, and she was considered his wife at this point, is pregnant. He's no fool. He understands exactly what has to happen for her to get pregnant. And he wasn't the father. What would you do in that situation? You see, he has two options here. Two options that would seem to me to be the only two options. Divorce her publicly. Divorce her quietly. The third option would be to hang in there with her, but nobody would consider that option. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, do you remember when we studied the Beatitudes and we said one of the most helpful ways to understand being a righteous person, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, is to be in right relationships with your heavenly Father, with others, with yourself, and with God's creation. Joseph was a man who hungered and thirsted for right relationships, and therefore he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. If he divorces her publicly, he's vindicated. He's he's shown that he had nothing to do with this. His reputation is intact. He gets the money back that he paid as a dowry to her father. And he gets to keep the bride price that her father paid to him. Who wouldn't do it that way? All of us would do it that way. Whenever we study this with lawyers in the room, divorce lawyers, I'll ask them, have you ever had a man come in and say, my wife is pregnant from someone else, I want to keep this quiet. I want to do right by her. I want to divorce her quietly, and I want her to keep all the money. I I have not found a divorce lawyer yet to say, yeah, I got a guy just like that. Joseph was a righteous man. He hungered and thirsted for right relationships. So he's going to do it quietly, and he's going to forego his reputation, and he's going to lose all the money involved. Imagine what kind of man he was. But after he had considered this, not before the angel, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, the Hebrew name for Jesus is Joshua. And it goes all the way back to Yehoshua, and it means Yahweh saved saves. In verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah 7, 14. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to the son, and he gave him the name Jesus. That last paragraph is, is pregnant with cultural 
things that are so important. He took Mary home as his wife, and he gave the name, the boy, the name Jesus. He is saying, I am the one. I am responsible for this little boy. I am responsible for this pregnancy. I am taking Mary as my wife, and I'm giving him the name Jesus. That means he's my son, and I'm stepping in, and I'm not going to try to vindicate myself. I'm going to take care of them. What kind of man do we see responding in faith, hungering and thirsting for right relationships, meek, power under control, merciful? When he doesn't have, when he doesn't consummate the marriage on their wedding night, in the, in the Jewish culture and in the culture of that time, if you're marrying a virgin, and to prove she's a virgin, when you have, when you consummate the marriage, there is some blood involved, and that blood on the sheet would be shown as proof that she was a virgin. We could have done this. Joseph could have done that and, and vindicated himself completely and Mary, but he didn't. I can only assume because the Holy Spirit convicted him. So we have Mary's beginning story. We have Joseph's beginning story. The shepherds come in. And they're out in the fields. Shepherds are outcast. They're out in the fields. It's probably in the spring because they don't have the sheep hold up in pens. Joseph goes up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee because in those days Caesar Augustus, that would be Octavian, issued this decree. He goes to there because Bethlehem is the town of David because he belonged, here we go again, to the house and line of David. And while they were there... They didn't rush in on Christmas Eve bursting with baby. They had been there for a while. The time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room, not in the inn, but in the guest room, Cataluma, guest room. There would have been no inns in Bethlehem. And because of the hospitality culture, there, and this is, this is Joseph's people. This is his hometown. They would never have been turned away. But because of the census, I'm sure all of these little houses in this little town, the guest room, which sometimes is just a curtain pulled in to separate for the evening, they're all filled. But one of these relatives said, but you can stay here where we keep the animals. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And so they hurried off and saw him. They became the first evangelists because they went off and told everyone about it. And then Luke concludes this part with verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And I'm sure told Luke those exact words. Then Matthew comes back to the, the Magi. The Magi are astro astrologers from the east. You can read about them. You'll see them mentioned in the book of Daniel. They come to see King Herod. King Herod reacts in fear because he's the king, and now we're talking about a king of the Jews. So he reacts in fear. He sends them down there. You know the story, but I want to pick it up at this point. On coming to the house, they saw the child. See, we're a year and a half, two years down the road. 
We know that because Herod ordered the children, the boys, to be under two, to be slaughtered. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, associated with being a king, frankincense, associated with being a priest, and myrrh, typically associated with burial. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When it said, when we read that they worshipped him, that means they fell down on their faces, kissing his feet and presenting their gifts to him. And, and it's interesting that they presented their treasures. I, if I were in the group with the Magi, I would have said, let's don't give it all to him. Let's hold back some. Let's be practical. We got a return trip. Isn't that what we do? We don't present Jesus our treasures. We present him part of our treasures. Sometimes we present him with things that aren't even our treasures. Your Heavenly Father is probably not going to ask you to give up all of your treasures, but he is asking you to present those treasures to Jesus, to offer them back to him. So you think about what your treasures are. And I will tell you that your most prized treasure is yourself. And your Heavenly Father is asking for you to follow the example of the Magi and of the shepherds and of Mary and of Joseph and not react in fear but respond in faith and turn your treasures over to him. Release your grip on your treasures so that you can then start to live the life that is truly life. We've looked at this story. We've looked at Joseph, Mary, the shepherds, the magi. They more and more typify these beatitudes, poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, the hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the ones who are persecuted because of righteousness. They live in the kingdom of God, and they're living out the beatitudes. Herod, all of Jerusalem with him, Caesar, They're living in the kingdom of the world. Herod and Caesar, preeminent, powerful, but just pawns in Jesus' story. Now, I want to finish with a couple of passages, and I want you to look for this word, full or fullness. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Colossians 2, 9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. John 10, 10, Jesus' own words, I have come that you may have life to the full. This story is all about fullness. Jesus emptied himself of his trinity fullness and brought it down to fill us up with his fullness. May the Son of God, who is already formed in you, grow in you so that for you he will become immeasurable and that in you he will become laughter, exultation, the fullness of joy which no one can take from you. I'm Sam Hunter. This is 721 Live. So long, God's peace to you. I hope to see you next Friday.